says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me for a news and preview podcast. We're rolling them in together this week uh, on the back of that sort of late start due to Anzac round. Is my good mate 60s and my good mate Clint. Before I get him in here, let's hit the uh, stinger. News team, assemble! Sixties, Quint, how you holding up, boys? Oh, mate, it, what a busy day it's been. We're actually recording this on Tuesday night, and we've already caught up. What twice already today? Forty. We recorded the special edition of the podcast for the SG Ball Grand Final this morning. Uh, added in our chat with Nathan Brown at two thirty this afternoon, and here we are tonight recording the news and preview podcast so it's been a pretty full-on day as far as i'm concerned what about you clint how are you holding up it's been an interesting week gentlemen um you know i uh, apart from the eels going down some of my other sporting teams went down and i spent the the rest of my weekend doing kids birthdays so <laughs> i've i've been um Politely saying to my wife across the weekend, I'm 0-7 uh, and very hungry for a win this week. <laughs> oh, mate, we, we need it. And uh, just before we get into our, our terrific sponsors, I should mention that with it being a Friday night game this week, we're back at Paraleagues in Jack's Bar and Grill straight after the game on Friday night. So we probably kick off about half an hour after the game finishes. So... I'd like to think we'll be on about 8.30, something like that. What do you think, mate? Yes, that sounds about right. Uh, hopefully on the back of a Parramatta win. Oh, let's let's just say, come and join us in Jack's Bar and Grill in Parramatta Leagues after Friday night's game where we dissect the Eels win over the night. Yeah, that? that's, a nice, that's a nice spin on it. Although, you know, we'll get to it later, but Newcastle having a very, very good start to the season. Yes, they are. And, and for people who are just catching this podcast now this is actually a news and preview podcast so we're going to put it all into one because we do do have that quick turnaround from the weekend's matches into this and especially with team lists only released today we uh we we're we're cramming it all in and we do have i'm going to keep directing people back to it that dedicated preview podcast for the SG Ball Grand Final. So please have a listen to that. And before I let you run wild with the run sheet there, 60s, a quick shout out to the two sponsors of the tip sheet, Big Swing Golf, North Mead, and star partners, Norellan, Auburn, and Parramatta. Show couldn't be done without them, so massive thanks. Yeah, absolutely. And there is a little bit of news that we still want to touch on coming out of last week. It's not brand new, held off the presses news, but we still want to talk about it. Reg's injury, we've had a bit more details confirmed by the Eels that there's no hip fracture, but we're still looking at an eight to ten week period out of the game. Uh, it was We've had the suspension now of Payne Haas with it being determined to be a hip drop tackle. 
final thoughts on on this fellas coming out of that game where there was no there was no penalty against Payne Haas. We there was no sin binning. What's your thoughts coming out of it now? I think for me, gents, it's a it's a real pain in the eels, Haas. Um, to lose Reg <laughs> the eight to ten weeks is it's it's massive. But when you consider the alternative, a fractured hip probably would have been um, upwards of a six month injury. Um, so I guess it's the best of the worst. Um, so, oh, sorry, yeah, it's the best of the worst case scenarios available to us. But you know, one 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 week out, and you know, we can talk about intent and and touch on that in a little bit. Um, but you know, it doesn't change the circumstances around the injury, and the fact of the matter is, we're going to be out uh, with one of our key players, and not just forwards, but players, uh, very key part of our makeup for for the um, for a third of the competition. Yeah, like, Paul, do you want to add anything on there, mate? Yeah, well, echoing what Quinn said, it's obviously the best of a bad set of outcomes in terms of the serious injuries. Uh, while it's not a fractured hip and that's that's not you know potentially career-threatening, we all know that when you're an absolute monstrous unit or mountainous unit like Reg, that those groin injuries, and given his history of groin injuries, they're going to linger. So it now becomes a concern for the remainder of the season until he can get a proper uh, pre-season back under his belt. For me, though, uh, besides the actual injury to Reg, which is obviously the biggest concern, but for me, the other thing that really rubs me the wrong way is how much of a catastrophic failure of the system it was. You know, after all this talk about don't call it a crackdown, we're getting rid of hip drops, you know, this is the mechanics of a hip drop, you know, if you do a hip drop, you're off. What happened? What happened? Like, how how can that go through? Payne Haas get up immediately saying, hey, hey, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't do anything wrong, I did anything wrong knowing that he'd done something wrong, and the bunker would sit there and say, you know what, not only is it not a penalty, or it's not a sin bin, it's not a penalty. And, you know, yeah. like, yes, Parramatta... Has it even... Sorry? Sorry, mate, has it even gone through to the keeper as far as the media's concerned? Well, and honestly, did... Because of the way the Anzac round worked, obviously, with that battery of Tuesday games, the two classic Anzac matches there, uh, we didn't get the usual round recap or breakdown that he does, or we haven't seen it so far. He did do a breakdown of why each of those three tackles in the Eels-Broncos game was a hip drop, but didn't address the fact that Payne Haas wasn't sin-binned. And I know, you know, going back to the comments section of our uh, Instant Review, our Instant Reaction Podcast 60s, there was an, you know, an element there that were critical of us not being critical enough of the team, which I would say, A, you didn't listen to the podcast, you just looked at the title or the, the write-up, or, but B, <laughs> me being absolutely disgusted with the, the process, the official process of the bunker, doesn't mean that I can't also be unhappy with the team. They're not mutually exclusive. I can think that there was a catastrophic failure of the systems and also think that the Eels shot themselves in both feet in the first half. And that's what happened. Yeah, I, yeah absolutely, because what we saw there was a performance from the Eels, especially in the first half, where they didn't deserve to be in the contest. No. They just didn't. They they were passive. They just let the game happen to them rather than taking the game to the Broncos. And we know that the Broncos are a team which thrives on confidence. They didn't take the game to the Broncos. So we saw the sort of performance that happened in that first half. The, the ridiculous part about all of this is that... If the decision had have been made to put Payne Haas to the sin bin, as he should have been, well, the nature of the charge the would Eels have been. Could have, the Eels could have manufactured a win out of it. It might have been undeserved. However, 
There's plenty it of would others. have been right in the circumstance. Yeah, exactly. But we'll never know. We'll never know whether they would have been able to take advantage of a, of a two a two player um, uh, having more than two players than the, the than the Broncos. So we're robbed of that. And yeah. and you have to look at it and you go. That was a massive fail. There yeah. is no other way to look at it. No, and that's sports. Was, Sometimes you play bad but get the win because of circumstance, and that was what should have happened for Parramatta. And the other thing and, too. And when it's, sorry, I was just going to say the, the thing is too. This again, and we've talked about this before. Play, referees, we're quite accepting of the fact that referees will make mistakes on the run in the game. However. At that, they had so many reviews that they could take of that tackle. And the decision was made, obviously, that's not a hip drop tackle. That is the only way you can look at it, that the bunker and the on-field referee made the call, that is not a hip drop tackle. Mm-hmm. So if the referees don't understand what a hip drop tackle is, it doesn't matter how much Graham Annesley says, it's quite straightforward about what a hip drop tackle is. If the referees do not understand that it's that it's simple, then we've got a failure. Yep. As you said, there is a massive failure in the system. They can talk all they like about the media should be able to understand it or coaches should be able to understand but the it. The most important the people, people, people need to understand it as much as anything anyone else are the, officials. Are the match officials. Yep. And and the other thing that really rubs me the wrong way is that the nature of the Payne Haas charge in the wake of the game would indicate that it was closer to a send off than a Symbian. He got a grade two dangerous yep. contact charge. So not only did they get it wrong in terms of missing the penalty in the Symbian, they got it, like I said, catastrophically wrong. So, yes, Parramatta played poorly, and yes, they had a bit of a comeback at the end, but yes, the referees also botched this one massively. And I say referees, including the, obviously the, the video ref or the third official. So let's look at now the impact of Reg's injury on us. Uh, team lists have come out, and we'll get into that in, the, in a, uh, just a moment. But Wiramoo Greg has been called into the starting lineup, but we've got a very skinny roster at the moment. We've got injuries. Uh, we've got uh, 27 players in the of the top 30 signed. That's it. We, we're, we're still three players short of the top 30, as far as we are aware. So if there's been some sort of internal upgrade, we're not aware of it at the moment. So... Where do we stand now with being without a player for this extended period of time, gents? It's a hard question to answer because uh, I think we were discussing um, prior to going live that uh, Brad Arthur and his presser today indicated that they're not going to go out and try and replace Reg. Now, you know, you can take with that of what you will and, you know, maybe a carefully worded phrase there from, from our beloved coach, but... Um, you know, the fact of the matter is, is that we're we're short some some quality in the middle, and um, you know we don't necessarily you're not going to replace Reg, but you want to get someone who is a, uh, a I, I guess uh, an equal in terms of a prototype and style of player that can hopefully um, replicate RCG in the aggregate and provide a little bit of balance to our team as we manage um, manage our time without um, without him available to us. Um, well, Clint, wasn't it, weren't we in that situation, even with Reg in the team, that we were a middle short anyway in the roster? Absolutely, and it, it, it's 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 only intensified that situation. You know, heaven forbid if Junior goes down too, then we're in some real strife. Oh, please! Oh, yeah. Have you got some wood to touch yeah. somewhere? No, I'm knocking oh, on the wooden desk right now, boys. In the process, gents. So, yeah. 
Um, I'm, I'm absolving myself of that one. Um, well, the, so, the best thing is I haven't said it. If I'd uttered yeah. those words, we'd be in major trouble. Oh, we, 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 might, we might just call it there and, 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 and um, prevent any bad juju getting out there. But, well, look, um, the, the concern is surely we, we just have a look at the, the New South Wales Cup results and we saw the, the Eels New South Wales Cup team travel over to New Zealand and cop an absolute hiding. Uh, we've seen footage of the tries that were scored and we're talking about arm-grabbing defence that was going on out there. It was, I mean, I, I, it's, it's a bit tough to comment because we're really, without seeing the game, we like to be able to call the game, we like to be able to see the game when we're talking about lower-grade matches so that we're coming in with informed opinions. We're just going on this based on what we've seen in the highlights, what we've seen with the scoreline. It's not pretty either way. So unless there was a lot that were a lot of bad luck that went their way, which it's hard to imagine in such a lopsided scoreline, you've got the the next grade down that's not really applying any pressure or necessarily providing answers to uh, who BA can bring into the team in the event of injury or suspension. I think the fact of the matter is you, you might have been a little bit kind in your assessment there, 60s. They're applying zero pressure. Um, there's no, there's well, maybe apart from a, a couple of select performances over the course of the, the New South Wales Cup season proper to date, um, but there's no one really putting their hand up saying, you know what, I might be a good option for you. Um, you know, I'd probably absolve someone like uh, Luca Moretti from, from that and, um, and uh, the first couple performance of, of, of Tony Mataiei, who um, has, has, hasn't been able to replicate that form since. But um, yeah, there's, there's no one there saying, pick me, I can help solve the problem. And you know, when you find yourself in the position, we are in a, a very unusual position of only 27 players contracted and one of our big names going down in a position where we're all experiencing problems. And on top of that, uh, who is available to potentially step up, isn't even doing it in 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 the lower grade. Jesus, there's, there's some issues. Yeah, and that's that to me is the biggest concern. We're looking what who in the pack in the New South Wales Cup is ready to ready to step up into the NRL, and uh, yeah, we're we're now struggling, and the hardest thing would be as well for the coaches when you're looking at such a, a result that's so lopsided and they hadn't played well in the previous two weeks on top of that they they copped a, a hiding from the Bulldogs, uh, was the Bulldogs, the Bulldogs and not? then got past, yeah, and got past the Tigers or the Western Suburbs Magpies in um, a real ugly game on Easter Monday yeah so when you look at those performances and you go <sighs> If, if there's someone that's giving their all in that grade, and you mentioned Luca Moretti, and um, and probably Tony's Tony Mattaelli's form has dropped off a bit in the last few weeks. He started off the season on fire. Um, Jake Arthur's he, he's doing everything he possibly can at halfback, but it's we're losing the middle badly mm -hmm. in these last few matches, and until we start until we start winning the middle in that grade, then 
I don't know that those results are necessarily going to change. And again, that makes it harder to identify when your team's getting beat like that, to identify players who are able to come up and do the job. I guess that's why coaches are paid the money that they are to, to be able to sort through whatever garbage they might see on the field in, in the way of the, the form that's being shown and, and find a diamond performance in there somewhere or, or at least someone that's just given it absolutely everything that they've got. But are those players in the positions where we need to be filling right now? And that, and right now, that's very much the middle. But again, we're sitting on 27 players. Yeah, and part of me working backwards from what you initially proposed, 60s, and I'll get to Wiramu later, but starting with that whole roster issue is I'm still miffed as to why the whole talk of an X-Factor signing was leaked in the first place. Because we just... oh, to, to me, that's I, I think it's pretty obvious. Like, you're, you're, like put, you're, putting up, you're putting up the vacancy sign and saying, "Hey, we've yes. got space." Yeah, I I, I believe it. I, I mean, this is just my take. It's not, uh, I, and and please don't take this as, as gospel, people. But me looking at it in retrospect now is is like putting up an advertisement to player managers. We we have some money. This is what we are chasing, let us know who you've got. That's That to me seems to be like, and, and you know what, that might be a way you'd go about it, but um, but we've still got, certainly we've leaves. still got, you'd have to think, two roster spots that should be being filled now, like yeah. two of them. Yeah, even if it's I know just we brick, brick and mortar players, you know. I, I, you know, maybe I'm just not clear now on dates when when these things were supposed to be done by because it was always our understanding that the 28th player had to be locked up before the start of the season and then the 29th player by another date and then the 30th player is what the 1st of August or something like that yeah. so yeah so i'm i'm a little bit confused at the moment and and maybe the club can put out a statement uh, to clarify where things are at or i mean maybe it's something that they don't want to uh, delve into with with a general um, um, statement like that. I, I, I don't know. The, the danger but, of making but, that move they did, 60s, if that's the case, of putting up that sign saying, hey, you know, talented players, please apply, is that you've put out, you know, the same broadcast the fans and now you're sitting here just about two months later and nothing's changed. And if anything, the team's in a, in a bigger hole because, like you said, it's a top 27, which isn't even a top 27. Wanga Blake hurt himself in the New South Wales Cup. Yep. Uh, Jeremiah Sia isn't an option, you know, to play first grade. So, you know, you need to make now moves. Is out, and now, so and now, yeah, and yeah. You, you don't you don't factor for Reg to be out. Obviously, like that is just one of the unfortunate realities of playing football. Is you didn't count on your best, you know, or one of your best forwards, if not your best forward, being out for two to three months. But that happened. But yeah, now you yeah. you got to figure something out. Do you, you know you can't look to your New South Wales Cup team? You know, do you? Can you even roll a dice on someone from the flag? Not really. Like, uh, I've got big raps on Jonte, uh, uh, big Jonte Jr., but, you know, throwing him in the first grade right now doesn't seem like an ideal situation. So, no, no. Well, he, he's only just getting a taste of New of South Cup. Wales Cup. Yeah. He's, he's mostly playing flag. But then, like, start factoring in the others. So you've you've got Bailey Simonson's out for a week. So, Cap, again, Cap one your, your yep. list of 
with the concussion protocol. So again, what we're talking about here is players that are on the that 27 list, that 27 player list. We've only got 24 who are NRL contracted who are technically like who who are physically available Mm -hmm. this week, like physically available. So, and of course included in that are are players who are now either playing um, Jersey flag or playing um, or are coming off the bench for New South Wales cup due to form. So, and, and look, like, you're it's a not very skinny. It's a very skinny roster right now. And it's, that, that's not a full accusation, is it, Sixty? Because you're not always going to get everything right when it comes to roster construction. In a top thirty, you're going to have hits and misses. And the Eels have done a fantastic job finding value in in the cracks and in the guys that have been overlooked in the last sort of five or so years. But they didn't get it right necessarily this year. You know, so you, you sort well, of we don't want to pan- we don't want panic signings right now. Exactly. Well, I, that's that's I, that is the worst, and that, you know, I think that's what Brad Brad Arthur was trying trying to sort of intimate. There was, we're not going to go to the market for the sake of going to the market to replace Reg and, and make a short sighted decision now, you know that's going to hurt us down the road. But on the flip side, you know we, there are guys out there. You just I don't know how you know you, you can prime out there, prime off from the opposition te- the opposition team. Sorry, but you know you've got to be aggressive and you've got to try and make something happen. Find a guy that can help you now, but also help you down the road. Well, I I wonder as well whether there have been negotiations going on with players who aren't available until next year, yeah, and then yeah. what that then becomes is having difficulty filling the spots just for the rest of this season. Well, and on that point, sixties, I wanted to I wanted to touch on another possibility that might be at play here because I, I I think you you you're probably somewhat on the mark there and, and you know j- just to preface for all our listeners as well i'm not i'm not privy to any information this is pure speculation from my end but we still haven't officially announced mitchell moses re-signing you know there's an understanding that he has and you know perhaps the club is also investigating as a part of all of this structuring a deal that allows us to front load some of his contract into this season to allow there to be more funds available for subsequent seasons um and um hopefully secure some some of that future talent that you're touching on there for um for 2024 and beyond yeah i i think one of the things that we have to be patient about and and I, so i'm i'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate there i i'm i'm i was playing the voice of the supporters in in what i was saying before about being concerned that we we got a, we're operating on a very skinny roster because that's just a fact that we're operating on a very skinny roster and we're trying to speculate as to why this is the case right now and i mean the obvious thing is that in terms of who's available right now that the options are somewhat limited we know that that's you you essentially you have to find a player who's not happy with where they're at right now and is and wants to leave right now how you go about that, how you go about finding that is that's all going to be behind the scenes stuff. It's mm-hmm. probably going to be, it's going to probably take the form of a, but you, of a player manager reaching you, you out. Got to think, you you got to think that with Jack White and joining South Sydney, uh, Roger Tulvasacek joining the New Zealand Warriors that, you know, even with just those two teams, there's going to be opportunities to look at players that could be 
cap casualties then? Uh, or you look at teams like Cronulla where they've got an absolute embarrassment of riches in the back line right through to their uh, reserve grade team in the Jets. You know, there, there's got to be some way to make something happen. So Yeah, and this is this is where it probably gets frustrating that you don't that you don't know. And we and and as supporters there's probably things that we're not entitled to know because it's negotiations are yeah. going on. Parramatta have made it a point that anything is that is negotiations is done confidentially. And as I said, I can I can speculate that maybe the problem with filling roster spots right now is that roster spots might be filled going forward into next year and that they're not about to be announced. Um, look, Parramatta hasn't done what some other clubs do. They, I know that they've honoured signatures, contracts in the past and the wishes of the players who've signed up by not announcing it when it's done because the players have got a, a contract that they're playing out. So, and oftentimes the, the news only leaks out when it's when it comes out through other sources. And we know that. We know that Parramatta has been, has been the sort of club that when they've signed people from elsewhere, that they don't announce it straight away. They wait a particular period of time. So... Yeah, maybe that's a maybe that's a reason, but we should probably now move on. Oh, fellas, just b- and, before we and... do, sorry, before we do, we sort of we started that by talking about Wiramu Greg as well, and I do want to give him a shout out because I think over the last fortnight he's produced some of his best football as an eel, and you know obviously a couple of good games do not make a season for him, but this is a case where the door shuts on Reg for a couple of months and opens for him, and this is a huge chance now for him to step up and be the guy. And it's not going to be, you know, he's going to have his problem, problems, but he'll have his, you know, struggles and downturns across two months of plus of football. But this is a big chance for him to, and is he, is this a contract year for him? Yeah, it's a contract year. Yeah. So yeah. Even, even if he doesn't stay as an eel, and obviously if he plays well, you want him to stay as an eel, but this is a huge chance for him to write his own story now. Absolutely. Absolutely true. So let's get into the team list, mate. You've uh, You've got the... Eels three grades of uh, of team list to to read out, or we how about we leave that now till the preview with the with the team list because we we are putting this all together. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll go the, we'll go through the team that. list so we'll, as part of a team as a preview. Sounds yeah. good. Okay, so mate, let's get on to the NRL news right now, and of course the biggest talking point in the NRL is that prize signature of Jack Whiten that the South Sydney team has been able to secure for a four-year deal and it's drawn the much-expected Ricky Stewart reaction about just what sort of a deal it is because and, and greater transparency because he was offered a lot more money to stay in the Raiders, stay with the Raiders. I think he was offered a, a lot more money to go to somewhere like the Dolphins than what he was offered by the South Sydney Rabbitohs. So is that chance of a premiership worth an extra, well, up to $300,000 more? Uh, like, uh, sorry, three, you'd accept $300,000 less to get a premiership a per se- season. A season, not, not across a lifetime, yeah. Yeah, so what, what, what's your thoughts? Has Ricky got a case? Oh, look, you, can, you, you could just feel Ricky seething through that press release, couldn't you? 
he was obviously furious of how things have played out. And you look, I, I clown on Ricky, and a lot of Parramatta fans clown on Ricky because of the way he departed the club. And and even though we, you, I think you mentioned recently, sixties, uh, you could understand why he left the club given the state of affairs at Parramatta at the time. Just the manner in which he did it obviously left a sour taste. But in this case, yeah, you can sort of make a joke about Canberra and at their expense, but God, you got to feel for him. That they they stood through, I stood by Jack White and through a lot of off-field garbage, and uh, you know propped him up to be the pillar of our team, and he's sort of uh, done the run on him here. And this is a this is a big test for the NRL because I, I don't know if they've got hard and fast rules about market value and notional value and how much you can salary sacrifice. This is going to be, in a way, a landmark case about uh, setting standards for what you can sacrifice to, quote, unquote, chase the premiership. So, yeah, very, very big ramifications here uh, when it comes to the big teams. Sort of, when you talk about the big teams, obviously, what, the Roosters, the Rabbitohs, Brisbane and Melbourne, I'd say, are probably the, 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 the high rollers when it comes to uh, luxury spending in the NRL, uh, what they can get away with under the pretense of winning a premiership. Yeah, the, and the the teams that are likely to have those third-party sponsors. And this is – do we have a suspicion that there's going to be – there's a third-party deal that's involved with us? Because, I mean, the, the owner is one, yeah. <laughs> one of the wealthiest men in the country, in you know, given his acting yeah. career. So I'm sure that, you know – and. Anyone that watches, and he's just one of the part owners there. Forty, you know, you've got to consider well, that um, the, Mike Cannon Brooks, the CEO of Atlassian, also is a part owner and, of and South Sydney. Exactly, and these are these are sort of conversations you have. We've got to be very careful because anyone that watched Three Sixty tonight saw Paul Kent have to make a very quick retraction, uh, retraction, sorry, on what he said about a, a potential boxing promotion happening that might sweeten the deal for uh, Jack White, and then had to walk it back after the commercial break. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, again, as you said, you've you do in this instance feel for Canberra, but even this, this season, his, his actions are surely going to go close to totally derailing their current season because you've had the reported comments that he's going there to South Sydney in his quest to win a premiership. So as a leader at the Raiders club, he's literally saying, I don't think you blokes that I'm playing with, and I don't think you as the coach are good enough to get a premiership is that, in the next four years. Is that a semi-deliberate plan too? Because what so often happens when you sign a player for next year these days? You you open the door for a mid-season transfer. So Well, it, you, would, you would like to think that if something like that eventuated, that, I mean, would I, I guess they work on it. <laughs> These these values of the players when they move partway through a season, but look, you'd hope that the Raiders would stick to their guns and not do an immediate release and and like in the worst case scenario, you run the bloke around in New South Wales. Well, Cup. that's what I was going to say. If, if and you got to imagine that Ricky's going to be pretty prickly about this uh, by you know just by nature, given what's happened. That if there was a a Burning the bridges, he would just drop him to the cup uh, to knock on effect New South Wales Cup. So, and not you know. I don't think Ricky's been. I don't think Ricky's been renowned as the most forgiving. <laughs> no, man and, and look, like like I said, uh, like he's been you know the the butt of many of our jokes and uh, whatnot. But he's got plenty of uh, reason to be upset in this case. You know, he he, he and the club have done the right thing by Whiten, and 
look, that that's not a tacit agreement from Jack that he has to stay as a Canberra Raider. But, you know, given what was done for him in circumstances, they could have, you know, cut bait with him pretty easily, I feel like. You know, it There's is a really, sense of moral reciprocation. Yeah, exactly. That you feel yeah. this hasn't taken place. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's always odd for, for Ricky to be on the moral high ground, given, you know, some stuff he says and does uh, in the NRL. But I think that's the case here. And he has every right to feel pretty aggrieved about uh, not, not his trust being broken, like, because everyone knows that the NRL is a business, more so than ever. Uh, but, yeah, he, he did the right thing by Jack and, and helped forge him into one of the best players in the competition. And his reward now is seeing Jack not, not just walk out the end of a contract, but activate a clause to get out prematurely. Yeah. Well, let's move from what is potentially a, a concerning area when it comes to NRL contracts to something that might be somewhat exciting if it comes to fruition. And that's the talk of staging season opening games over in Las Vegas in the United States. That's We've been there before, haven't we, in terms of <laughs> plans and schemes and that sort of thing. What's your thoughts? Is, it gonna, is, is this going to come to fruition and what would it mean for the game if it does? Well, it, it's something of interest to keep track of, right? Um, you know, uh, uh, an exciting proposition. But as you rightly touched on, you we've travelled this path before. Um, we probably continue to do so a little bit uh, wearily, um, you know, n- noting that there's there's a lot of things that have to move before this um, becomes anything official. But the you know the, the the notion of holding a game in in Las Vegas, yes, incredibly exciting. Comes with a lot of risk management concerns for a number of reasons. Um, you know, particularly when you consider um, you know, the proposition of, uh, or most importantly, the proposition of four um, NRL squads being based in um, a, a weekend in Las Vegas and the the city of sin um, associated with a sport that's not always been known for um, the, the best of off-field behaviour or best of off-field reputations. There's, there's going to have to be a lot of contingencies put in place and a lot of babysitting taking place as well, I dare say. But, you know, the, we should always be looking at opportunities to grow the game and to grow the footprint of the game. Um, you know, Las Vegas is, um, is, 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 is probably a, a choice that appeals because of some of the success that the, um, the World Sevens has had on that circuit. You know, there's, there's obviously an established market for, for, for some form of rugby. Um, li- likewise, you know, we could utilize the star power that, that we have associated with the game with famous supporters who have, um, you know, both, both, um, Hollywood and international profiles as, as draw cards. Uh, likewise, you know, the, the, um, the new, uh, Raiders stadium that is, um, that opened up there, I think only two or three years ago. Um, I've personally, um, uh, not been inside it, but gone past it. It's one of the most impressive structures i think i've ever seen um you know but um th- th- there's a world of opportunity but you you have to see if the, ultimately the business case has to stack up and you know you don't want to r- risk this being a junket where a lot of money is thrown at it for not much return um you want you want to see some quality data that's informing these decisions not not let it be some type of um as i said before junket and um you know uh, I, I i guess um podium for the NRA was X to stand on, but ultimately doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, I think that's important as well, is that 
it there it has to be part of a bigger plan, doesn't it? Like you can you can go and stage the game there, and I'm sure there is a bigger plan, but it it'd be great if if it does come off that that plan is revealed. Is it is it part of just a promotion of the NR NRL? Is it some sort of move that's going to help to grow the game in some way in the United States? Is it is it going to have implications for having broadcast rights of NRL games in a in a bigger way in the United States? What's the what's the plan there? There's a lot of logistical stuff as you as you hinted at there, Clint, because the players that go over there, they're probably going to have to go over and be involved in promotions for the best part of the week and squeeze in their training and promotions and during that time. You'd, you'd imagine that post-game that they've got to fit recovery and a flight from the United States back to Australia. And you, then you, you're obviously thinking, how does that impact the next round? Do mm-hmm. they work in buys for those teams early in the season? And the other Somehow, thing too like, is the, the broadcasting crossover. So... I watch a lot of NFL, and if you're talking about playing in primetime slots in the American time zones on the East Coast, uh, a 10 a.m. start, so an early start for them over there, would be a 3 a.m. start here, I think, or so thereabouts. So, uh, or maybe it's a, it's a, because I'm thinking of West Coast, East Coast transfers here because I support the Seahawks. So, uh, like a, and, and if you're playing on the West Coast, which would be, uh, you know, if you go to LA or whatnot, in that in that case, then you know, uh, uh, prime time slot there would start closer to ten thirty or eleven thirty in the morning over here. So it's very awkward for broadcasting to your main audience uh, in terms of in terms of Australia. So you got to get that figured out too. Clint raised a great point about the star power, which immediately sort of marries the South Sydney Rabbitohs to one of those games because uh, obviously Rusty. Russell Crowe is the, the biggest draw card in terms of Hollywood for NRL. Um, I'm trying to think of anyone else that would actually be fairly relevant. I know that like all the... No, you, you the Hugh Jackman's a Manly supporter. Hugh Jackman yeah. will come out for Manly. That's another good shout out there. Um, uh, I, I know. Our very own Eels is uh, followed by... Um, the Mentalist? The, uh, the Mentalist, Simon Baker. Yeah, Simon Baker. Uh, so there, there's options there. Um, but I, I would say that Manly and South Sydney are now immediately married to that concept of the, of the two-season openers there. Uh, and then you probably look to put the Glamour Clubs in there, which brings you back to the uh, the Roosters and Broncos or Melbourne. And the yeah. the Broncos have got uh, branding crossover with Denver, which I don't yeah. know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, that could be seen as a good thing. Uh, the Cowboys too, obviously, uh, but you wouldn't bring them across from Australia because Dallas Cowboys are just on a – completely different uh, level to the North Queensland Cowboys. That's not a knock to North Queensland, by the way. Uh, but, yeah, it's a uh, – this is – is it the final frontier? Is that the way you could you'd spin it? Well, John Rebot would go say uh, China was the final frontier, I think, right? He was big for playing the season openers over there. But uh, I don't know. I, we, we spoke to Ron, remember, 60s, and about, you know, the, the opportunities for league there. And, and the timing would actually be pretty good because – Super Bowl takes place in February uh, for for the uh, the Americans, and you get that couple of weeks hangover, and then they have a chance to reset and look at something new and are fun. So maybe you can cash in on the timing there. Uh, I don't know. Yes, I don't know. It's it's yeah. it's tough because you want to make a footprint, but you got to remember that 
America is a country that has a lot of big-time sports, not just NFL. You've got baseball, basketball, ice hockey. Uh, there's, you know, there've been a number. Even the MLS soccer has quite. Yeah, a that, that's right. The MLS is actually it's kind of a big deal there now with all the international signings they bring in, uh, and below those top-tier sports, you, you've had a, a whole host of wannabe second-tier American football organizations just fail, and it's 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 competitive, isn't it? So. Yeah, I mean, I don't blame the NFL, NRL for wanting to try, and I will support them in trying, but uh, this might be a case, too, of you, you can sink resources in and you can have a real crack at it, but the sunk cost fallacy might be a real thing here at some point. Yeah, I, I think it's a matter of watch this space for just how far this actually progresses this time because, as I said, there's been false dawns with taking a game to the United States in the past. There's been false dawns about getting the game really started in the United States as a as a legitimate code over there. It just hasn't happened. It, sh- it probably should have happened. But, you know, it's a, it is a big investment to make. And I think, obviously, taking over four teams for an event is a is a an investment but it has to be an investment with a purpose now just on the Absolutely. last weekend's, last weekend's games uh do you have concerns about the pitch invader that happened at the Anzac day match between the roosters and the dragons i i'll jump in here because i do um obviously this one ended with the guy wanting a hug and that's you know kind of a, a funny you know goofy end to uh, a guy doing the pitch invasion but I'm I'm old enough, and I say this is you know obviously your junior here, sixties, but I'm old enough to remember what happened to Monica Sellers in tennis, and all it takes is one yep. bad fan on a bad day, and you know suddenly someone's getting stabbed. So yeah, pitch invasions, yeah they're wacky and funny most of the time, and everyone has a laugh as security struggles to bring down the guy. But God, you know all it takes to say is one bad day, and and the games change forever. Yeah, so we're we're looking at this stage that. Security. It's a bit of a reminder to security, and the the obviously the security systems that are employed at the stadium to be a little bit more vigilant. You'd hate to have a situation where you do have like wire or higher fences or what have you to separate the fans from the players. I don't think we'll get to that point, or hopefully we don't. Um, but you know, the, the other side of the equation is the the code of conduct of fans and the responsibility of fans. Um, you know, respect the playing arena. Um, Those are professionals out there doing their job. You've parted with your hard-earned money to get there. I understand that. But that doesn't afford you the right to break the rules. You know, you have to to stay within the confines of the code of conduct, um, respectfully watch the players from behind the the fence, and and you're rewarded with the opportunity of being able to go watch your football team or whatever sport that you're following the next time you want to go do it. This fan probably got a much lighter wallet and likely, whether it's been reported or not, some form of a ban as a result of this. Was alcohol a factor? That was, has that been reported at all? I'm not privy to the details of it. I wouldn't be surprised if it was. But even if it wasn't, you know, I've, it, it, it's, it's not an excuse or anything to lean on either way. As I said, there's, there, there's a fan code of conduct that, um, you know, conditions of entry that exist whenever you enter any public venue. Yeah. Now, we've got uh, the other big news to come out is that Combank Stadium is going to host the first women's state of origin this year, which is going to be on the 1st of June. 
that's big news with the the staging of it. First of all, I mean it's it's now a standalone event, but it's two games. It's a two game series. Yeah, first ever proper the first series. Of them, yep. So exciting news for the women's game, and I, I guess exciting news for Western Sydney being able to uh, get out there and cheer the uh, women's New South Wales team on at uh, the at Combank Stadium. And we know that right now Parramatta have two prospective uh, New South Wales candidates in Pearson and Kennedy Charrington. It'd be nice to know if we have any more, which hopefully we can get <laughs> done in the you know the coming weeks and days. Uh, but yeah, I mean. New South Wales and Queensland for the Women's State of Origin have really been putting on shows for the last couple of years. The game's been high quality, physical, fast, tough, everything you associate with the male arena. And they're really making it their own, uh, which has been fantastic for the women's space. And, you know, the fact that they're spreading it out to a, closer to a proper series now was, you know, really something that had been in the works for a while. So cool to see them get the two games. And eventually, obviously, it'll go two, three games, uh, two, it'll go up to three games as well to mirror the men. But, yeah, big steps here for the game, for the code, and really looking forward to that first game out at Combank Stadium. Yeah, it gives them a, an opportunity to see what's what sort of attendance they're going to attract at a somewhat larger yeah, stadium. After North Sydney Oval being the venue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ab- absolutely. It was, I mean, North, North Sydney Oval, as picturesque as it is, is still a stadium that's in the mould of uh, Leichhardt Oval I, um, in terms of facilities. I think for the women here, uh, like you said, North Sydney Oval, classic stadium, classic venue. There's so much history there. But think about it from the, the two teams are going to participate here. If this is a sellout or close enough to, we know what Combank's like when you get 15K plus. You know, it, it the, the noise starts bouncing and reverbing and going crazy they'll be getting goosebumps. It'll be the uh, a game unlike anything they've played in their careers. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess some of those women that were able to play in last year's NRL Grand Final, when there was, uh, what what was the crowd? Was it was it in 40? the vicinity of 45, 40, 45,000 yeah. when and they were playing. So they they had that sense of playing in front of a big crowd. But that, that was a, a big crowd that, were mixed in their allegiances That's because right. the Penrith supporters that were in there, they weren't interested in in cheering on the match between the Eels and the Knights. And the Knights, maybe they might have got behind the Knights just to, <laughs> to stick it to their, the their, their typical manner of how <laughs> yeah. they feel about Parramatta. Yeah, that, that's understandable. Yeah, but they're not really invested in that game. What you're going to see out there is an attendance that you would imagine is mostly going to be invested in cheering on the New South Wales Origin team, and. Yeah, it let's let's hope that they get a really big attendance there and and keep growing the game as a standalone product because that's that's really where we want to see the game grow is that it gets recognised for the high quality of rugby league that it is and that doesn't need to have the men's game to prop it up in any way, shape, or form. And we're not suggesting that the men's game props it up. We're saying let's get this game on the pedestal that it deserves to be on. So looking forward to that one. Uh, a couple of other bits and pieces floating around in the NRL. The rumour of uh, Kyle Flanagan maybe heading over to Manly to um, to join his father, on the who, who's on the coaching staff over there. 
Uh, thoughts, fellas? Is it just at the rumour stage, not not really what you'd call ground yeah, shaking. I think this news. one came via the mole, so you know, he, he tends to have his ear close to the ground, and he gets bad mail and good mail, but he's you know probably more consistent than most. Uh, yeah, I mean Flanagan's days at the dogs are numbered, aren't they? He just got dropped this week uh, out of the team after getting shifted two five eight to make way for an expanded role for Matt Burton. I don't know if it's because he's not a good fit at the team. He struggled at the Roosters too. Uh, going back to where his uh, old man is might be for the best for him. It might be for the worst. I don't know. Uh, maybe He might be one of those players that would benefit from time in the Super League maybe and a chance to open up the game there and then come back, kind of like what happened to Jackson Hastings where he, he you know was a very highly touted young half, didn't really ignite the NRL the way he wanted to when he made his first run through the NRL went over there to the Super League. I think he was at the Man of Steel over there and then came back and has been pretty... I know he's bounced through clubs, but that might be a factor of, uh, you know, personality clashes more than anything else because his on-field play has been pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, we've also had the uh, news about Nelson Asofa Solomona extending his time at the Storm. Yeah, pretty big news, that one. Um, there, there was... There was, I guess, a, a suggestion that he'd be lost to the Storm, either potentially the rugby union or maybe even another club, but he's inked a new four-year deal. Um, you know, and we get to continue heading on him every time <laughs> he comes to Combake Stadium. Yeah. Uh, we, we also had, I'm just trying to um, think of the, uh, I've got a mental blank on the St. George uh, props name that's uh, just linked with the Dolphins. For next year as well. That's uh, news on that was uh, just leaking through this afternoon. Um, Josh Kerr, sixty, signing in what looks to be a two-year deal with the Dolphins. Yeah, could he have been a player that you would have liked to have seen the Eels pursue to strengthen the uh, depth in the middle for our club? I don't think it would have been an outrageous suggestion. No, not at all. Yeah. I mean, it's not necessarily a name that immediately jumps out at you, but. You know, you can start creating the argument when you, you know, look at it a little bit below the surface. And it, it's an interesting one for the Dolphins as well, gents. They've got quite a few middles on their books. I'm not sure if there's maybe a progression plan in place. Maybe some other players might be moving on at season's end. Um, or whether they've just they've got the ability to have this level of depth and the players are happy to sign on and be a part of that. Well, they do have some senior players like really senior players that they recruited from the Storm. So maybe there's a bit of a succession plan in place there. So, uh, But that pretty much takes us through what's happening in Paradise and in the NRL. But now we're going to launch into the preview section of this massive podcast. Forty, I'm going to throw it over to you for the uh, team lists and to take us through the preview. And for anyone looking for an SG Ball Grand Final preview, we have a standalone podcast that is already out there, so check that out on the Come On Throw. You can catch us on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, and iTunes now. Uh, make sure to get that one there because we have a great chat with Nathan Brown about the junior representative campaigns for the Tasha Gale, Harold Matz, and SG Ball with a look at that Grand Final and beyond. But let's start with the Jersey flag this week, boys. Paramount Reels coming off a buy. Was it a buy for them? It was a buy for them, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Coming, coming off a buy, they host the Newcastle Knights. This one's going to clash with the uh, SG Ball Grand Final, unfortunately, 60s, including, and that includes the New South Wales Cup game too. So we won't be out there at Kellyville to see these games. Uh, this one is actually chronologically the final game kicking off on Saturday, 3 p.m. kickoff. 
actually being the uh, main event to the curtain raise that is the New South Wales Cup this week. Eels hosting the Knights. Mate, mate, just, just, if I could just jump in there, I don't think the NR, New South Wales Rugby League could have had, had the timing any better <laughs> to make it impossible yeah, to, to get to, games. to either venue. You know, we, we would have liked to have had a, a scenario where we could have covered at least one of the games at Kellyville on Saturday. But unfortunately, the kickoff times literally make it impossible to go from get Kellyville from one to venue to the other. Exactly. But yeah, three o'clock kickoff here, boys. Let's just go through the team quickly. Uh, Lindsay Munro is the fullback. Matthew Komalafe, Lene Federica on the flanks. Tawari Williams is back, which is a nice boost for that back line. He'll join William Latu in the centres. Ned Hicks and Mac Pulfisi are in the halves. Noah Reed, Jonte Jr., Beth and Mies are the two bookends. Jacob Davis starts at dummy half. Captain the team on the edge, Jock Brazel. He'll be on the left. Max Tupo will be the right edge back rower. Nicholas Lenars is the lock forward that can also play a bit of dummy half. On the interchange, Damian Nati, Tyson Chase, Nick Al-Rafor, and Lachlan Mears-Crab. Larry Mawanga-Tutia is the 18th man. They're taking on the Newcastle Knights. If I just bring up the ladder here, boys, check out how they're travelling in the jersey flag. Uh, will be positioned in, there's the Jersey Flag Cup, uh, coming in at 10 out of 12. So there are a few spots behind the Eels who sit in sixth place coming into this round. Just two wins for the Knights from their seven games played. They do have a bye to their name like the Eels. Parramatta four and three uh, on the season to date. Uh, had a couple of, uh, had a four-game win streak that was snapped by a tough loss to the Bulldogs. Uh, and now they look, uh, look to get back on track against the Newcastle Knights. I'm just looking at that Newcastle team, seeing if there's any names we would might uh, spot. Simon Tito jumps out. Was he a Parramatta player? I honestly, I don't remember. There's that a name. There's a sewer, uh, and yeah, but yeah, Tito does jump out to me. Um, oh, he might have been a Penrith player. Uh, so yeah, I see him in some Penrith gear here. So that's maybe why I know him. And maybe Manly, too. So he might have bounced around a bit. But yeah, the Parramatta Eels, look, it's a home game here, 60s. The way they played football this year, even though they lost to the Dogs where they weren't at their best, you'd expect them to get the job done if they can continue to play the brand that has done so well for them so far. It's been a real effort-based performance. And, and also, I think they've done a good job of following match plans. They've really stuck to what coach Brennan's identified in the tip sheet for them and gone out there, just done their job. And it's, it, we had, uh, we, we weren't able to be at their last match at Cabramatta because Another clash. again, it was, <laughs> yeah, we're at, at Campbelltown for the junior reps, uh, first week of the finals football. So that's unfortunate. We'd like to be able to cover as many matches as we, as we can of the lower grades, but in the, in the rounds before that, it was really a case, as I said, of them executing exactly what the coach was looking for. Yes. You're going to get those periods in a game where things sort of go a little bit off the rails. And especially when we're talking about age football, but I'd expect them to, they've had a good, uh, good, couple of weeks off they would have recharged the batteries a few niggles they would have had a chance to get over a bit they'd be uh, resetting some of the players might be looking at the sg ball and thinking oh there's some blokes that will be coming and joining the squad soon so 
it might be a case of, look, I'll keep showing you what I can do because I think there's possibly been an element of that uh, there. Just like the SG ball is a is a tight unit, it seems like this squad have really bought into playing for each other. So, oh, look, I'd like to think they're going to get the job done again this week. Mm-hmm. Quinn, anything to add to that, mate? Yeah, look, you know, it, it's it's been real nice to see. I, I don't want to necessarily call it a renaissance, but um, certainly um, a, a team performing well at the Jersey flag level. You know, we've um, we've kind of just hovered around um, around that position uh, the last few years of um, of you know trying to make the cusp of the final series and. You know, to, to to see that, I think we touched on it last week, gents, the, that, that Parramatta spirit really shined through, um, you know, and after this week, there will, there will be some SG ball, um, I guess, um, graduates that that um, certainly put their, their hand up for selection there. So, um, look, it, it, things are looking up and, you know, you'd you like to think that we get the, the job done here on, uh, against the Knights. And that brings us to the second game in terms of seniority, but the first game on the day, one o'clock kickoff out at Kellyville for the Parramatta Eels in the New South Wales Cup, hosting the Newcastle Knights again. In fact, it's all grades against Newcastle right down to the uh, SG ball final, which is a real funny coincidence right there, but a cool little twist to the day. Uh, Eels coming off that heavy, heavy defeat at the hands of the New Zealand Warriors. Boys, they shape up like this. At fullback, it's Dejan Arcee. Joshua Minhinnick holds down one wing, but to uh, be announced is the other winger right now. And uh, while that worked really well for the Queenslanders that one time, I don't know how it's going to fare for the Eels. <laughs> uh, Isaac Lumi Lumi and Zach Sinney, they're in the centres. Rankin and Arthur, the two playmakers. In the front row, we see a change. Many Luke comes into the starting team to replace Jaden Yates. No sign of Mitch Rain in the dummy half role there. In the front row, Offiki Ogden will partner Luca Moretti. No Clyde Rodwell this week. In the back row, Tony Matelli comes back into the starting team. He'll partner Jack Murchie on the edges. Dan Keir is a lock forward on the interchange. I mentioned him already, but Jaden Yates. He's joined by Tavita Taumapenu, Ijira Momosia, and Nico Apelu. They're taking on a Newcastle team. Again, if I just check my notes quickly, uh, that come into the ladder here. Uh, the Knights are sitting last running, on the table. Running the Stone Cold Marvelous last. Just the one win from their eight games. So they're doing it tough, negative 145 for and against. I tell you what, though, if there's a way for the Eels to lose this one right now, the, the Knights do have them at a good time. But looking at that team, players that stand out, uh, I think Bowie Hodgson's a, a fairly young player with some raps, but Heimel Hunt, uh, there's an NRL player, Adam Clune's another one. Uh, Jack Johns, obviously, has seen a bit of play this year. Uh, but they're actually, uh, and there's a former Parramatta Eel there in David Hollis on the interchange. They're probably a bit short on uh, NRL experience in this team. You can see why they're running last in the New South Wales Cup. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, I'll, I'll let you go with those sixties. No, I, I was just, I was just going to observe that there was last week. It, it seemed that it was the Eels really chopped and changed the team a bit. There were players didn't go over to New Zealand. There was late change to the lineup. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, John, but I, I think uh, Dejan Arce ended up playing in the halves last week. And Lumi Lumi might and have gone to fullback? Is that yeah, it? that was that was as I recall the what was the I mean, we didn't get to see the footage yeah. for how they actually, yeah, Dejan, they actually played. Dejan and Jake in the halves, Lumi Lumi at fullback, Kamalafi comes into the team, which, and he was there with Sam Loisy who, given that 
uh, Loizu is not named and Komalafi is, you'd think that either Loizu's been held in reserve in this game or Komalafi will come back into this team. Yeah, so, uh, it, look, it was... I don't know whether we just have to put last week's down as just one of those awful, awful games that a team has to very quickly put behind them and just move on. I don't know that there's too much you'd learn out of that other than stop grabbing, stop arm grabbing mm-hmm. in defence. Um, I suspect their confidence is down quite a bit. You'd hope that they don't have a case of thinking they just have to turn up to get the job done against the Knights, given where the Knights sit on the table. Uh, look, I don't. I honestly don't know what to expect this week from the team. If you had have spoken to me about three weeks ago, I would have said you'd see a lot of effort from the team. But you can't see say that what we've seen from the last two weeks is high in the effort stakes. So, Not at all. And you consider, you know, yeah, the Knights are running last, 13th versus uh, Parramatta running ninth there in the New South Wales Cup. But, you know, it's it's the worst points differential against the second worst points differential. Yeah, and that's really as a result. Parramatta's copped three hidings this season. They copped a hiding from the Jets in the first round. They copped a hiding from the Bulldogs. And they copped a hiding now from the Warriors. In in amongst that, somehow, was a victory over the Panthers. Yeah, very good. Very, <laughs> I mean, isn't it funny how that probably lined up for all three grades with their best performance? I mean, and to the Flex credit, they've probably got a couple other good wins under the belt too, but... For the NRL, at least, it, alongside the Cup, that was easily their best performances of the season. Yeah, there was no fluke in it. They didn't have luck go their way. That was just a quality performance. So, I mean, that's why I said I, I, I can't make a call on this. I honestly can't make a call. If they play anywhere near their best, they get the job done. They get the job done easy. But are they going to play at their best? I don't know. Honestly, don't know. So... Um, but look, I I hadn't seen uh, much of the dummy half. Uh, sorry, my, his name escapes me, uh, John. The uh, dummy half for the Eels. Jacob this week. Davis. Oh, you mean sorry, um, in, in our own no, Many Luke. Uh, many Luke. Yeah, sorry. Many um, Luke. Who, yeah, many yeah. many Luke. So, uh, is he related to Sunny Luke? Perhaps. Uh, I, I couldn't see any connection in terms of like the player database there, but. It's a same surname, similar first name, so seems like and it's both a, were linked from the Penrith district. Yeah, so seems like it's a far from a, a terrible uh, conclusion to draw. So yeah. So uh, look, I I I don't think it's too much. That I don't think I'm giving away anything to say that I I watched a bit of the the training tonight before we gone into got into the podcast, and I actually liked what I saw from Many Luke tonight in training so uh, obviously he played last week and uh, we we can't say that he was able to help stem the flow or to create points for the Eels last week but I, I liked what I saw out of him uh, from him on the training track tonight so uh, but apart from that again we need the Eels to turn up and play their best football. We don't need the sort of performances that we've seen against the Jets, the, the Bulldogs, and then the Warriors. No, sir. And that brings us to the main event of the weekend, kicking off on Friday 
in the uh, the bad slot for people coming from their nine to five, the six o'clock kickoff out at Combank Stadium, Parramatta Eels in thirteenth hosting the twelfth place Newcastle Knights. Let's quickly run through the Newcastle lineup, and then I'll get to the Eels boys. Uh, Newcastle start with Lockie Miller at fullback, Dom Young and Greg Marzu on the wings. Dan Gagai and Bradman Best round out a pretty handy back line, if I'm going to be honest. In the halves, Kalen Ponga made his return from concussion against the Cowboys successfully, and he'll partner Jackson Hastings at halfback there. In the front row, Daniel Saifidi, Leo Thompson, who I'm not very familiar with, but they're the two bookends there. Saifidi, obviously, a class bookend. Phoenix Crossland is a dummy half because you talk about cursed players, but poor Jaden Braley, again, with the bad injury. Uh, ugh, very, very rough, I feel for him. Uh, in the back row, the ageless Tyson Frizzell, Lachlan Fitzgibbon, and Kurt Mann, one of those super utilities. He'll be at lock forward. Tyson Gamble, Jacob Saifidi, Matt Croker, and Jack Hevington are on the interchange. Simi Sasangi, Heimel Hunt, Jack Johns, Dylan Lucas, and Adam Kuhn, the extended bench or the shadow bench, however you want to call it. For the Eels boys, uh, we've got a couple of changes. Well, yeah, we've got two changes, right, because we have the uh, Cat 1 concussion for Bailey and, unfortunately, that groin injury for Reg which means at fullback, as always, the tireless Quinton Gufferson. On the wings, Micah Siva will be on the left edge. Hayes Dunster gets the call-up back in the first grade to replace Bailey, which means Sean Russell gets pushed into the centres where he'll partner Will Penasini. Uh, and I, always say, I say partner boys, but obviously they're on the opposite edges. Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses in the halves. In the front row, you talk about opportunity knocking. Wirumu Greg gets another start this year. His other start against the Roosters, I thought he was very good. This is more of that. He'll work with Junior Barlow. Josh Hodgson is a dummy half. I know there's a bit of talk about uh, whether Hand should be starting over Hodger uh, boys. We can talk about that shortly. In the back row, Sean Lane and Ryan Madison. Maddo pushing out onto the edge once again with Jermaine Hopgood starting at lock forward. On the interchange, Bryce Cartwright, Brendan Hands, Matt Dury, Makahesi Makatoa. Maka the player caught in to replace the injured Reagan Campbell-Gillard uh, by virtue of that series of swaps and changes and whatnot. Extended roster, Jake Arthur, Jack Murchie, Offer Hickey Ogden, Dejan Arcee and Isaac Lumi Lumi. Main official is Chris Sutton. We've got Chris Butler in the box. And uh, I'll let you guys start talking about uh, what that means in terms of the two rosters, boys. Would you suggest, well, I'm going to pose a question to both of you to start off with. Would you suggest that the Knights have the edge in the back line and the Eels have the edge in the forwards? Knights Most have, likely. Knights have the edge in the um, back line. Uh, if Reg was here, the Eels have a runaway advantage in the forward pack. Without Reg, and given that Junior's probably playing below his best right now, it probably evens up more than I'd care to say. Absolutely. Yeah, and you, you mentioned before, what is he going through the team list? You weren't too familiar with Leo Thompson. No, I've, I've watched a couple of his performances, and he more than holds his own. He'll, he'll, he'll do a job for them. Um, but you know, uh, back on the um, on the Newcastle um, backline, gents, I just wanted to raise their outside backs this year. Lachlan Miller, 195 metres per game. Dominic Young, 141 metres per game. Dan Gagai, 179 metres per game. Um, Bradman Best, 134 metres per game. And Greg Marzu, 194 metres per game. We mentioned only last week, or probably a couple of weeks ago, I think it was going into the Tigers um, Easter Monday clash, in fact, that we weren't getting enough out of the yardage game from our um, our outside backs or our back five. I've just gone through the stat line of the, the Newcastle back five. There's some impressive numbers there. That's some Penrith tier production right there. Absolutely. 
you know, and, and, and because of that, you know, that edge or that slight edge that we have in the forward pack that, um, that we're initially alluding to, we're coming up a, a, a Newcastle forward pack that isn't having to carry the load as much in attack. It's a little bit fresher for defense and, um, and, and can, can front load some of those efforts into, um, into their line speed. We're, we're going to be challenged to, in, in this one, boys. This is, this is going to be a tough game. Yeah, I'm just having a look now at the uh, run meters for the average run meters for our players in those positions. It's Hayes Dunster, 84.5 meters per game. Gutho, 128 run meters per game. Um, Will Penasini, 130. Um, Sean Russell, 82, Mike Acevo, 116. Yeah. They are, those numbers are really down on what the Knights are producing. Yeah. Now, the there was a, a really good article out of the Rugby League Eye Test this week about the... Phenomenal of, article. Yeah, uh, and it really highlighted, first of all, the workload that's there in... for the Eels forwards and then how opposition teams are saying, oh, you like to do a lot of the bulk of the work here, have some more. We'll take our attack directly through the middle. So you've got them, you've got opposition teams now, not just, uh, I mean, we, we can have always considered that the Eels forwards to be a point of strength, but teams are now deliberately looking to tire out our forwards by taking the game to them and it's it's a fair comment i mean we're we're still making total meters that is is up there as far as what we should be but the work is getting harder for those eels middles that are averaging less run runs per meter uh, less meters per run than what they have in the past and they're not really getting that support by the back five getting the run meters that might save a bit of their workload. No, spot on. Um, and you know, we the Parramatta strength is their forward pack, but if a forward pack a forward pack is performing under fatigue because of the extra loading that they're taking on, they're not going to be at their best. So uh, it's it's a frustrating little conundrum because while the answer is so simple, right, the backs have to run more. Realistically, it's just not translating that way. So going to need them to step up some way, somehow, especially if the absence of Reagan Campbell-Gillard now, uh, because you don't want to then see, like Quentin sort of uh, talked about earlier, you don't want to see Junior buckling under the pressure of that extra load now. So they've got to step up here big time. And, you know, for, for Russell and Dunster, there's some demons to exercise too. Sean has got a case, I don't know if it's a full-blown full blown yips, but he's struggling on the high ball. And he's a player that we've seen not do that 60s for years. You know, coming through the junior reps, he was, uh, you know, very strong under the high ball. But now in first grade, you know, he's got that in his mind. Uh, Hayes, unfortunately, well, for him, it's just a matter of time, isn't it? Uh, he, he is not back at his best physically, and he's being thrust into a position that we didn't really want to put him into, but necessity has enforced it. So he just needs to, you know, work hard and, and minimise the, the disadvantage that he is playing with right now physically. Yeah, and look, we've got, We've got some other concerns there as well that we've got 
players that are missing far too many tackles. Josh Hodgson's averaging 5.3 missed tackles per game. Um, Jermaine Hopgood is averaging 3.6 missed tackles per game. They're, they're players that are in the middle. And in comparison, the the Knights... The, the only players that the only player that's anywhere near that for them is um, Tyson Gamble who misses 3.8 tackles per game but he's a half and then, and you'd expect that that to feature uh, from a half because we've got um, Isaac uh, sorry, Isaac uh, Mitch Moses he's missing <laughs> an average three tackles per game as a bit of a Faux pas there, wasn't it? Uh, <laughs> coming out with his manager there. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there's a lot There's a lot that's not going right for the Eels at the moment. And it's, you know, that let, let's, let's talk to the obvious, which is a lot of us expected that we might see a, a reversal of who starts and who comes off the interchange in that dummy half roll. I think we were, we were expecting that maybe Brendan Hands would start the game and uh, Josh Hodson would come off the bench after the, the team start to tire a little bit. It, it would seem that that's not going to be the case this week. I, I, I must say that I thought that after Hodson was replaced last week that it also marked that point in the game where we started to be a bit tidier around the middle in defence and uh, against the Broncos. So I, I do have concerns that it that it looks like it's going to stay with the same starting, uh, with Hodgson starting and hands coming off the interchange. Yeah, there might be the last-minute change, but the, the team list suggests that it, it will be what it will be, and it's, it's, it's not often that Brad deviates from um, the 17 that he names unless it's um, necessitated. But... Um, you know, um, uh, adding to that, gents, you know, we, we touched on Hodson and Hopgood in the middle and their missed tackle rates, but you know, I, I wouldn't call Wiramu, Greg, or Junior Paulo the most um, mobile or, or, or players with the best lateral movement either. Um, so you add those missed tackle rates in around players who um, you know, probably require a little bit more support, and certainly as they start to fatigue, um, you know, that, does that issue compound? Yeah, well, Paulo's got an average of 3.3 missed tackles per game. Wiramu's not too bad because his minutes have been down. He's only down for, um, what is it, 0.7 missed tackles per game. But then again, he's only averaging making 12.3 tackles per game as opposed to, um, uh, sorry, Junior is down at um, 1.3, not 3.3, 1.3 missed tackles per game. So, look, they're not too bad. At the moment, but as you noted, they're not—they're not right up there when it comes to lateral movement. And and where that becomes an issue is mightn't appear in the stats if they can't actually mm. get there. It's not going down as a missed tackle if they're not—if they're not in a position. If they're not attempting it. Yeah, if they're not attempting the tackle, it's not a missed tackle. And we saw last week against the Broncos that, especially with that that try where we overplayed the we. we we, the Broncos were awake to our kick pressure, and we saw um, that that try that was scored by Reynolds. Uh, I think it was Reynolds that scored yeah, Reynolds, the try. Reynolds shifted to Mam. Mam that, 
Yeah. Yeah. And Reg bizarrely went for the intercept while Hodgson made a poor tackle and he got that flick pass back inside to Reynolds. So, yeah, the decision-making process is every bit as important as the actual tackle process, isn't it, boys? Yeah, absolutely. Now, it may well be in that... Uh, in those circumstances that with a bit of heat and humidity that the players were looking for an easier way out of it. You know, Reg is looking for the intercept. Uh, Hodgson's barely getting hands on the tackle. Um, You know, it it was almost like in that first half, the commitment to get things done seemed non-existent. And, And we didn't get into talking too much about taking the folly of taking the game to Darwin. We've probably done that to death a little bit. <laughs> the, the, Eels are, the, the, the Eels are just locked in. We're just locked in for we, um, another few years. Like, like we said, Sixties, can we just up. not pick the red-hot informed Queensland team of the season to take the yeah. <laughs> The Cowboys yeah. last year, the Broncos this year, uh, and obviously, you know, no five-day turnarounds as well. That'd be nice as well. Well, the Titans, the Titans are a Queensland opponent, so let's go there next year. God, imagine, imagine if we actually willed the Titans into being the best Queensland team next year by taking them to Darwin. Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's the metric. I hope, I hope you guys are knocking on wood again. Yeah, I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm firmly planted to my oak desk here. Yeah. So, how are we expecting this game to play out, then, fellas? I, this is a danger game, boys. Newcastle uh, are not chump change this year. They're playing good football. Uh, they're competing really aggressively on both sides of the ball. Uh, if in the first half against Penrith a few weeks ago, they really stuck it to the Panthers, and they fell away in the second half, and that might be where the Eels have some opportunities. But they're, they're a team that's having a red-hot crack this year, and the way Parramatta are playing, that makes them a real threat. Yeah. It's so much of this game for me, so much of this game is going to come down to the performance of the spine and the uh, performance of our two starting middles. And, uh, and and I guess to an extent what Hopgood is able to contribute as well uh, as a as a middle player there's we have we've had some uh, uh, the recent inclusions of uh, of Sean Russell and Hayes Dunster both both of those players have had their issues out wide and we've seen that it doesn't it only takes a mistake or two for teams to put on a try it 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 took the drop of um, Sean Russell last week, and it was a try on the platter that was there. Um, tackles that are missed, and or, or inability to turn and chase, or, or, or as fast as like we know Hayes is not back to this pace that he had. It's gonna. We have to be patient with Hayes for him to get back to where he was before the injury. It's going to take, I think, a good twelve months. Um, and most most judges will say that that. When you're coming back from an ACL, let alone every ligament done in your knee like Hayes did, you have to have patience. The players, the player, it's a long journey to get back to where the player used to be. Some players don't get back to it, so um, you know he's he's just he's not quite who he was as yet, and we have to be a bit patient there. But uh, they took advantage of of that with that kick in behind him with the turn and chase. Um. Yeah, the the Broncos kicking game against our outside backs just worked to perfection, didn't it? Last week. So, like you, I do see this as a danger game. Forty. I, I'm almost, I'm almost reluctant to give a tip this week. I'm certainly not going to be in the preview. I won't be given a punting tip. I, I've got, <laughs> I've got zero confidence in 
in what I think is going to happen out there. I, I think we are going to need to execute at our very best to get this job done because the, the Knights, even though they didn't win last week, they are playing a better brand of football in 2023 than they have for some time. And um, you know, they're getting the best out of players like Greg Marsu. He's um, he is he's playing some of the best football that we've seen him play. Now we're not watching him as closely as as we used to when he was playing in the lower grades with Parramatta, and he had some issues around his defence. Whether that still exists, well, I guess the coaches would have done their homework Look, on I, that. I, I... I think, based on what I've seen, there are still opportunities to attack Greg, both aerially where he might cough up the ball and defensively where he might make a bad decision. But the scary thing is, is that the way he plays, he can absolutely eat up our defense. So, yeah. And I think he's, what is he? He's averaging close to 200 meters a game, like uh, Quint said, but probably the number that we didn't see there, if I can just find it quickly. Uh, where are we? Tackle breaks? Yeah, tackle breaks. I'm, uh, he's actually, uh, oh, yeah, okay. No, he's got plenty. I, was, I saw line breaks. I saw two, 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 and one, and then nothing. I'm like, yeah, that's actually not that bad. But that's line breaks. Which he's averaging seven line breaks over his uh he's played since round four, so that's five games. So he's going at one point four a game, which is obviously a very, very good metric. But the tackle breaks, well <laughs> uh what's that, thirty, thirty nine. So he's thirty nine over his five games, so he's close to eight tackle breaks a game. So that's scary. That's very scary. Yeah. Yeah, and even I mean, more so when you consider the missed tackles happening in with some of our middle players. Yep. Yes, sir, and that's where he really thrives is getting in behind the ruck and just causing havoc. Yeah, so uh, as I said, our, our middles, our middles, and our spine—it's it, not rocket science to say that that's they're going to be critical more so than ever. Mitch Moses' kicking game, big is, time, and. Um, yeah, so, uh, Clint, your thoughts before we get to our predictions. Well, coming into this, gents, you know, I, I was having a, a chat with, with a friend of mine who's recently relocated up to the Hunter, and you know, he, he, he's, he's a big rugby league fan, a big super coach fan. He was, he was actually an Eagles season ticket holder last year. He's made the, the, the change across to Newcastle, given that he's relocated. And, um, and the thing that, that I immediately said to him was, I feel we have to complete um, our sets at levels, you know, you always have to complete to win rugby league games. But for this particular match, I feel like we're going to have to complete at a level akin to what we did against the Panthers to get away with it. Newcastle are tremendous value at $2.75. And I'm, I'm, I'm loath to suggest that we should be, um, you know, and, and, and any of the Eels faithful should be jumping on the, um, the opposition here. Definitely not suggesting that's the case, but that's quite big odds for a team that has shown quite a bit this year. And you know we're going over some of the stat line and uh, as well as the form line, um, yeah, you know <laughs> that's pretty good value for the neutral pun, um, pun, uh, punters out there. But um, yeah, well, I, no, I, I see. Clint, Clint, I do know an eel supporter, and you know him quite well, <laughs> who will always back the opposition, and uh, the old reverse he, psychology. Yeah, yeah, but he will eat up those odds. That, Absolutely. That, that, that will be delicious odds for him. So, um, yeah, that we give him a great. We, we we give we give our beloved Mitch a grade F every time for doing it. However, um, we do like that he uh, he chooses to sacrifice his um, his hard earned more often than not for the greater good of our club. Although I think there was a year that he was able to buy a car 
at the end of the season <laughs> of uh, backing against Parramatta. So um, <laughs> it's a fun it's a fun story for all you listeners if you happen to catch um, a good friend Mitch Clark out at, out, out there at a Combank Stadium and <laughs> talk about how he how, how he bought the family car. But um, get, getting back to the the the, the, um, the discussion at hand, uh, we're, we're going to have to complete really highly. Um, you know, and because that's the only thing that's going to limit the fatigue of our forward pack and the opposition taking advantage of a, um, a, a our, our forward pack fatiguing is we need to hold the ball a hell of a lot more than what we have. Um, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, I said 90 before, but at, le- at least 85%. You know, we do that, we give ourselves every opportunity to control field position. And from there, we should be good enough to get the job done. But you know, if if we complete our stats anywhere at the rate that we did last week, or um, or you know, some of the um, other games earlier this year, it's going to be mighty tough for us. Newcastle will make it very hard. There's enough quality there, and the you know we, we suggested some of the um, some of the stat lines for for plays and key positions, and 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 Newcastle's ability to take advantage of that, they will. Are we ready for some predictions? <laughs> oh, okay, I'll, I'll kick it off. Uh... If the Eels are to win, I'm thinking it's going to be a, a, a tight game in terms of the uh, points difference, but I also think it'll be high scoring. I'll nominate Eels 28, Knights 26. John? Um, I, I am deeply concerned this will be one that gets away from us with the, the Reg injury and just a, a lack of troops in that top 30 really coming back to bite us on the backside. Um, so naturally, if Parramatta win, they're going to win big. Get back. We'll go back to winning the prediction of winning big boys. So uh, it worked better for us when I was tipping the big wins. Uh, Parramatta, 30, Newcastle, 16. Clint? I'm cautiously optimistic, and weirdly I agree with both of you, even though that doesn't necessarily sound um, – it is it, sound logic in terms of my prediction. Um, I, I probably see um, a reverse of the scoreline to um, what we had against the Broncos with a, um, a 26-16 victory to the Eels on the caveat that, that we complete our sets. Right, okay. Now, first try scorer. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with my prediction from last week and go Dylan Brown. Not for any reason, just he's got to be due to get a try. <laughs> um, John? Um, I'm going to go to where I feel our best play happens. And that's with Will Penasini. I don't think he'll score one first. I think he'll set someone up, which means most likely Hayes on his outside or someone backing up on his inside. So maybe Guffo or Moses. Maybe I'll go Mitch Moses. Okay, Clint. Yeah, likewise. I um I I tend to um deviate towards the right edge as well, and I was going to stick solid with Will Penasini. Okay. Uh, now best on field. I'm I'm going to stick solid again, and I'll uh, I've said before it has to be won uh, by our spine as and our middles, but choosing between them again, we need him to produce Dylan Brown. You're not wrong about the spine needing to stand up, but I I'll go with where the form has been, and I think that uh, Ryan Madison's been one of our better players this year, and I think he'll continue to have a a, a good start to this season. Yep, Clint. I'm looking for a response from Junior Paulo. I feel as though that um, in order for uh, for our team to, to get the, the chockies, 
he's going to have to have a big game and um, I, I expect him to stand up. Well, I think we're just about done with our preview podcast. Thank you for joining us, fellas. Uh, uh, again, a quick thank you to our sponsors, Big Swing Golf at North Mead and to Star Partners, Auburn, Norellan and Parramatta. And a reminder that we will be at Parramatta Leagues Club up in Jack's Bar and Grill immediately after full time. Allow about half an hour for us to, to get there from the stadium to set up and be ready to go. Looking forward to seeing as many of you there as possible as we celebrate an Eels victory. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. And thank go, you. Go get him, you body Eels. <laughs> and there, go you Eels. <laughs>